I want to start by asking you to think with me about a time when you were afraid to ask a question. Surely that's happened to you. I think that's happened to every human being. Think back to, if you're an adult, think back to when you were a child and you were sitting in a classroom or some context with a group and you couldn't wrap your head around uh, an idea or an assignment that you were being given. Oh, you had a question, but you were afraid to ask. Or maybe it's a conversation with friends, a, a topic that you weren't familiar, very familiar with. At Lamb, there are lots of men who know how to do automotive things. And after the service, you often find these men huddling around, talking shop about cars. And I find myself within seconds completely lost, but afraid to ask a question. But, you know, I, I can remember in seventh grade, this very distinct time, the time came that they force everyone to take a class on a particular topic, a topic that a lot of people are embarrassed to talk about. Does anyone know what this topic is? What kind of education class this is? <laughs> because people had different schedules you had some people who had the class earlier in the day, some people who had it later, but then in the middle there was a break. And so you, at the break, you find all these seventh grade boys huddled around doing what boys and a lot of men continue to do, <laughs> acting confident about things that they really don't know much about, <laughs> afraid to ask any questions. You know, this fear to ask questions, it, it doesn't fix itself as you get older. It really doesn't. You know Olaf, the snowman from Frozen? He has this song where he says that when you're older, absolutely everything makes sense. You know, this is why we shouldn't listen to snowmen, right? It's, it's a joke. It's, we know this is a joke. As you get older, the questions just change. And the groups in which you're embarrassed to ask a question, they just change. But it's the same thing. The question might be a question about God that you're afraid to ask. It could be a question about marriage. About why your marriage is so difficult. Why you feel the way you do. A question about raising children. Everyone else seems to have the answers, but I, I don't get it. Or why you struggle with the things you do, depression or anxiety. It, it could be needing to ask for help and not knowing where to go. Who do you ask? And this issue, it starts when we're younger, the fear to ask certain questions, but it never completely goes away. Why is it that we have that? Why does that happen for us? I don't know exactly why it is for you. I, I mean, I could guess, but I know why it exists for me, or I have an idea. I assume that if I'm in a group and no one else is asking the question, everyone else must know the answer, right? And if they know the answer, that means I should know the answer, and I'd rather preserve my pride, which I, I realize in this case is actually ignorance, then someone else perceive me as dumb. And that's dumb, I know. 
But asking for help with something, whether it's something like even a car problem or something in marriage, something in parenting or a relationship with God, that feels vulnerable to ask those questions. What gets us into this mess? Well, it's pride. It's pride. Pride, even though we may not see it this way, it's the desire to be better than everyone else, or at least as good as everyone else. Which means that I inevitably, just part of my makeup is I compare myself to everyone around me. Some people more than others, but I compare myself. I'd like you, if you have a Bible, to take a look with me at the gospel passage that we heard just a moment ago. It's Mark chapter 9, verses 30 through 37. You know, we're told at the beginning of the passage that Jesus is trying to teach his disciples privately. He's intentionally trying to keep quiet. There are some important things that he needs to share with them, that he needs to... explain to them, that he knows the masses aren't going to understand, but he at least hopes his disciples will understand them. He's trying to teach the disciples about himself. Now, here's the thing about when you're afraid to ask a question. You can go on in life without some information. Like, you know, the, the, the automotive stuff, I can just go on in ignorance not knowing that. And I can take my car to the shop and someone else can take care of it. And I mean, I'll be okay. But the information that you're afraid to ask a question about, it could be really important. And going on in ignorance could be really harmful to you. That's the danger. So what happens in Mark chapter 9 verse 32 is Jesus is explaining to the disciples that he is going to be killed He's going to have to die and rise from the dead. And then Mark tells us, the disciples did not understand the saying, and they were afraid to ask him. They were afraid to ask him. Now, this is a piece of information that is going to be really crucial for the disciples going forward. What this means. In fact, it could be the most important thing that they ever know about God and about Jesus. What his death and resurrection means for them. About the kind of life they're going to have to live. About the kind of life that calls forth true humanity and flourishing for us. They're going to keep going in ignorance because they're afraid to ask. Now, here's the thing about the disciples. They've always assumed, based on their upbringing, that Jesus is going to be this military superhero type of figure. That he's going to take care of everything. He's going to gather a group of fighters together. And at this point, the disciples are thinking, we're his front men. (laughs) We get to be on the front end of all of this. And so right after this moment where they're afraid to ask a question, they get into an argument about who's the greatest of them because who's the greatest of them will determine which of them is going to be Jesus's right-hand man when the fighting begins. And on the other side of it, who's going to get to sit at his right hand, right? Now remember, I, I said that pride 
is what keeps me from asking questions. And it's about me comparing myself to others. And I, I think that's true for you too, to be honest with you. <laughs> you can tell me if I'm wrong afterward, but I think that's probably true for you. I want you to take stock of this situation in the Gospels for a second. The disciples do not understand Jesus. They do not get what he says, but they're afraid to ask him to explain. And then they start arguing about who's the strongest and the best. (laughs) They're comparing themselves to each other. Do you see what's happened? They're afraid to ask a question because nobody else is asking the question. They're stuck in measuring themselves up by each other. And this leads them into an argument about who's the best. Notice how dangerous our pride is. You can be really close to Jesus, just like his disciples. Maybe you're, you're here, you're close to the church, you're involved and engaged. But pride can keep you from really knowing God if you're always afraid to ask the questions. Pride can keep you from knowing Jesus no matter how close you are to all the things about him that you associate with him. So what does Jesus do with his disciples? Well, he asks them a question. To which the disciples again are silent. They're afraid to ask a question. Then they're afraid to answer a question. But then he sits down. It's this gentle thing that Jesus does. He sits down and he gathers his disciples in. And he teaches them about the opposite of pride. Humility. Jesus wants you. He wants me. He wants all of us. To grow in humility. Because humility is the only freeing way to live as a human being. How do you do that? Well, one way to grow in humility is being willing to simply step out there and ask a question. Ask a hard question that you need to ask to someone. Don't protect your pride. Don't hold on to it. Fight back against your pride. The New Testament letter of James that Jenny read for us, it overlaps perfectly with this story in Mark. So at the beginning of this reading in James, it says, Where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder and every vile practice. What's happening among the disciples? It's disorder. They're arguing about who's the greatest. The disciples were experiencing jealousy and selfish ambition. Now, what causes that jealousy and selfish ambition, James says? He asks the question. And he says, your passions are at war within you. The war on the inside of you, James is saying, creates a war on the outside of you. There's like this storm. Haven't you ever experienced this? Where where you're so angry, you feel like you could just burst out on everyone around you. James is telling them this this storm that's on the inside, this war, ends up creating a war on the outside in the broad open. But then James says this. It's really simple. You do not have because you do not ask. You do not have because you do not ask. So I want to ask you, is it at all possible that there's something that you don't have simply because you haven't asked? 
Is it possible that there's anything that you don't have simply because you haven't asked? Now, James doesn't say exactly who you're supposed to ask. He, he leaves it open, but it's assumed that you will start your asking with God. James says earlier in his epistle, every good and perfect gift comes from above, from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. This is where we should always start with our asking. Is there anything that you've forgotten to ask God for? To ask of him? Some frustrating question. Some residing anger that you have about something that's happened in your life, about who you are, about how he's made you and the circumstances of your life, something you're fearful of asking. Maybe you need to ask God. But James, again, he leaves it open who we ask the questions of. And I think there's something to that. Sometimes once we've asked God for something, we need to ask others. There are very few ways that force us as humans to grow in humility faster than asking others for help. There's this story, you've probably heard it several times, but I think we fail to absorb the power of it. There's a story about a guy who's stuck on the top of his house after a flood. You guys heard this story, right? Everything's underwater except the top of his house, and he prays for help. And someone comes by in a little rowboat and says, hey, come on, I'll help you, I'll rescue you. And he says, no, 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 I, I, I prayed, and I trust that God's going to save me. And then somebody comes by in another kind of boat, you know, there are a couple of these situations, the, the occasions. Somebody comes by, and he insists, no, no, I trust God. He is going to save me. And then, of course, you, you know, you've probably heard it, the floods get him, and he arrives at the gates, and he's telling God, I trusted you. And God says, I sent you three options. You know, what we miss is that pride is at the center of that story. The man thinks that his life is just about him and God. And there's a pride in that. As Americans, we're independent. We don't want to be a burden to people. And doesn't that sound humble to say that? But you know what it actually is? It's a false humility and it's rooted in our wounded pride. We believe that we should not need help. And we look around to see who else is asking for help. Again, comparing ourselves to each other. Seeing whether we should ask. But if we're going to compare ourselves to someone, who should we compare ourselves to? Well, if you're a Christian, I would hope you'd say Jesus. And think about Jesus. Even Jesus needed someone to carry his cross for him. Even Jesus needed help. If Jesus needed help at some point, do you think you might need help? At some point too. Now. Asking for help. Is part of being a real human being. Maybe you need to ask someone for help. Whether it's a friend. A brother or sister in the faith. Or maybe not. Someone at work. In your vocation. Maybe it's a counselor or a pastor. That you need to ask for help. This is just one of the ways we grow in humility. Is there any way in which you just need to ask a question? In which you need to ask someone for help? Now, 
before we close, there's one other way that Jesus gives us for growing in humility. And it's obvious, but that does not make it easy. It's to follow him in caring for those who are the weakest. To follow him in caring for those who are the weakest. So there's this small part in our passage that's really easy to miss, but it's so important for understanding this passage in Mark. When Jesus is teaching his disciples about what's going to happen to him, he tells them the Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men. I want to say that again. The Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men. You see, Jesus is the truest and most wonderful man. The most wonderful and perfect of human beings. He is man as man should be. God gives to the world his perfect son. The truest man. But men are filled with the spiritual cancer of pride. We compare ourselves to each other to find out how we're doing. So what happens when man compares himself to the Son of Man? What happens when the Son of Man arrives on the scene and men compare their, themselves to him? Men will never measure up to the Son of Man. You will never measure up to the Son of Man. So what, is, what do men do? Men find a way to destroy the Son of Man. This is what we do. This is what pride leads us to do to each other. Even if it's just in our own minds, this is what we do. Pride leads us to try to do away with those who are better than us in some way. That we perceive to be better than us. Even if it's just in our minds, we try to destroy others or to destroy ourselves if we can't measure up. Listen, whether you're spouses and you're comparing yourselves to each other and you find yourselves constantly at each other's throat, whether you're in friendships, whether you're in a parent-child relationship, if you compare yourselves to each other, you will try to destroy others or destroy yourself. This is what pride does. Jesus wants to free us from our pride. He wants to make us humble because that's the only freeing way to live. It's the only way not to suffocate others or suffocate ourselves with pride. So Jesus, think of him like a pioneer. He carves out a new way of life that is free from pride. Jesus goes all the way to the very bottom of the world, the worst of the world. He cares for the weakest of people, the most abandoned and vulnerable. Listen, children, when he takes the child in his arms in this story, children weren't the cute and cuddly things that we think of today in the ancient world. Barely half of them survived through childhood. They were despised. They were too weak to care about. People couldn't get emotionally attached to them because they didn't know if they were going to live. So when Jesus takes a child in his arms, he's taking someone who is completely neglected in the ancient world. 
This is what Jesus does. He cares for the weakest of people. The Son of Man, the Son of God, ends up asking for help carrying his cross. And then he dies on the cross and rises from the dead, making the way of the cross to be the way of life and salvation from our humanity, our broken, twisted humanity. And if we're willing, if you're willing to look on all of that about Jesus, to look at his care for the weakest, to look at his death and his humiliation in faith, to look on it in faith that this is the true way of life and this is the way to become truly human, if you're willing to look on it in that way, then you will receive the life of Jesus in yourself. And you will be redeemed from your wounded pride. You will be led into the way of humility. And one way that you take a step in that direction is by looking around you, looking around here after our service, and instead of comparing yourselves to yourself to other people, who, is, who are other people talking to? At work, who are other people talking to? How are they measuring up? Instead of doing that, go look for those who are vulnerable. Go look for those who are weak. People at the bottom rung. Look, they won't always look the way that you think they're going to look. It's not just children now in our world. It could be, but you're going to need to ask Jesus to give you eyes so that you can see those people who might be forgotten. They can look perfect on the outside, but they could be completely neglected on the inside. Go up to them and say, how are you doing? Really? How are you doing? Jesus wants to give you and me a, a life that's free from our wounded and twisted pride. Free from the need to measure up at all. To anyone else. He wants us to experience the joy and freedom of humility. And that doesn't mean hating yourself. It means having been lifted up by the God who went to the bottom of the world to die for you. To lay down his life for you. So what do you need to do to take a step toward humility right now? Right now. What could you do to take a step toward humility? Why don't you start? Why don't we all start by asking Jesus for help? Jesus, you are the true humble one. You were great, but you became weak so that I might become strong. Will you help me? Then, after you've asked Jesus for help, remember, he might lead you to go ask someone else for help. There might be someone that you're terrified of asking help from, and you might need to ask them. Or you may need to just look around and find someone who could be lonely or vulnerable and go love them in the name of Jesus. I'm going to ask you to take a moment to pray in silence. And after a few moments of silence, we're going to stand together and confess our faith.